Win stacks of cash by entering the 150K Crack the Code giveaway. Brought to you by your local paper, now through July 14th. Look for the code on page A2. Then visit 150kgiveaway.com and submit your entry. You could win the grand prize of $100,000. Grab the paper every day. Get the code on page 2A and improve your chances to win tons of weekly cash prizes. Visit 150kgiveaway.com for details. Hello and welcome to Book Nation. I'm Chris Stevens. I'm Nell Coakley. And we have a really cool guest coming on today. Someone who is new to me. Not new to me. But Nell is... I'm Bill's super fan. Yeah, she's doing the whole fangirl <laughs> thing here. Just so I wish if we had video, I would show you. She's all wide-eyed and giggly. And yeah, I'm very excited. It's awesome. So Bill Martin will be joining us. William, William Martin. Martin, excuse me. William New York best-selling author, William Martin. William Martin will be joining us later in our show. And if you uh, are trying to figure out who is William Martin, he has written Back Bay, Cape Cod, Citizen Washington, Harvard Yard... And Humanoid from the Deep, just in case you're into Roger Corman cult films. And well, that, and you know what? We have got to talk to him. We've got to ask him about that later. Just, I'm reading all this sort of, you know, lovely, wonderful, educated, esoteric, sort of elegant stuff that he's written. And then I see there's a trivia question on his website that says, what cult film, you know, did he write? And I was like, oh, my God, did he, like, write the blob? What did he write? And it was like, oh, my God, he did a Roger Corman. You are so going to have to pop that up. <laughs> like, know. when he least expects it, just totally. be like, hey. <laughs> hey <laughs> but um, as usual, before we get there, we will, um, we've got a little book news to chit-chat about. What do you got for us today now? All right, I want to start with the most exciting book news of all time. Which okay. Is that... We have our Facebook page up and yes, our Twitter account is up as well um, for anybody who, no, we desperately beg you. Go, go and read Yeah, there. please like us. Go, we have like we're no on friends. Facebook, Book Nation, yeah, and Book our, Nation. Um, our Twitter account is at Book Nation Cast for podcast. Uh, so yeah, we will be... We'll tweet at you, we'll Facebook you, we'll do all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, share um, so check share us with out. us. Yeah, share with us your all what you're reading, what you like, Absolutely. what you don't like. We have some recommendations on there. Yep. We've got a whole bunch of uh, we're gonna let our, all our podcasts are on there. We have like we'll let you know who are who's coming up on our show. And we're super excited. And who you want to hear from and maybe maybe oh, we yeah. can maybe we can get a ring or maybe we can get somebody really, you know, like woohoo. I don't know, maybe we'll get Dennis Lahane or somebody. He's local, he, he He's might do local. it. Love him. That yeah. would I would be fangirl. Chris and I, that. yeah, Chris and I have like a long <laughs> list of people. We, we do have a long list of to, people. To here. Uh, okay, so other book news. I have, and this is up. Again, this is on our Facebook page, so you can go and, and actually take a look. <laughs> at this. Um, John Green. Have you read anything by him? Yeah. Have you? Did you read The Fault in Our Stars? Yes. I think everybody on the planet. I, read, read I did. That. That's actually the only thing I read by him was The Fault in Our Stars. Yeah, my daughter's a huge fan, so he writes. My niece and I YA read that together. Paper Towns. I think she. Yes, read. I, b- I had bought Paper Towns for Chloe. So there you go. So um, John Green has started his own book club. Yeah. And it's called Life's Library. And... Okay, so everybody has their own. Like Oprah has a book club. Everybody, mm-hmm. It seems every everybody and their grandmother it's has a book, a book club. club. But so here is how John's is different. 
all the proceeds. So you have to so you have to sign up for this. Um, and he has like three like different membership rates. So if you pay like twenty five dollars to join the, to join his book club, you get like a a book, some swag, some discussion stuff. Okay. Then you're like, if you're like, you know what, I really don't want to do that. And you just say, okay, am I willing to pay $10? So it's $10, you get all the discussion materials ahead of time. And you're like, oh, no, I really don't want to do that because I'm cheap and I really don't want to pay anything. I yeah, just want to be in money. John Green's book club. Yeah. So he does actually have a, you don't actually have to do any of that. Um, he has one where you can just join in the discussion. So they'll have like this book discussion. Does Oprah charge you to be in her book club? I don't know. Oh, okay. I didn't but, know if that was a thing. And I know people thinking, well, that really stinks that he's like doing that. But here is why he's doing this. So all the proceeds, right, from this, and he's doing this with a college um, or with a, a friend of his, um, all the proceeds from anybody who joins and signs up and wants to do this membership thing mm-hmm. goes to a place called Partners in Health. And it is a Boston nonprofit that helps poverty-stricken families around the globe find health care. Oh. Is that, like, cool? That is cool. That's really cool. Okay, see, for that, I would spend 25 bucks. Right. So if you go um, so if you go on our website or you just want to, you know, Google John Green's Book Club or Life's Library is what it's called, um, or you can go, again, on our Facebook page and you can click the link there. It'll take you right to it. You know, it's it's such a it's such a cool concept that he's that he's doing that, and they're going to be um, they're going to be doing that now. I, I guess there's a little little note here that says, uh, "Don't confuse this." Penguin Penguin Books apparently has a uh, John Green book club. It's not the same thing. Oh, okay. So so that's know. a John Green book club about John Green books, probably. Yeah, it's about John okay. Green's books. Um, so Life's Library. The first discussion is November sixteenth, and they are trying to get everybody signed up so that they can, you know, they can get it all done. Um, everything ships in early December, and then you get your reading discussion material, and everything else starts December fourth. So you have plenty of time um, right now to sign up and, and get into it. And it sounds like so cool. And I think one of the notes on um, that I saw when I was reading the the, the note for this was that. It's not just YA stuff. So if you're thinking, oh my God, I don't want to read Young Adult, which, which has, as we were talking about at one point in another one of our podcasts, is just exploded. Yeah. Um, and you I just, love YA books, You just books, feel actually. like, I don't want to read those because they're children's books. But they're, they're yeah. they they well, have they said are, they but. have said it's not just YA books. They're going to have general fiction, nonfiction. So they're going to try to do a little bit of everything. Cool. Um, and it sounds like like a really great project. But yeah, it I does. Thought, that's sort of what caught my attention. I was like, wow, this guy's donating every single one of the proceeds to this Boston, Boston nonprofit. So it'll, it'll come right here at home. So if you're listening to us. Yeah, that is very cool. That is really cool. Awesome. So check out our, our Facebook page once again. And um, you can see where you can sign up if you're interested. Cool. So the Little Free Library turned 10 in May. Aww. I love the Little Free Library. I love... So in the town I live in, we just had a big party for our library. Our, our collection um, was, is, was 200 years old last week. Um, and the building that our library building was 124 years old. Chris had to make a speech, too. Yeah, I did. I, I did. It was a speech. speech. It was a very brief speech. Um, Thank you for coming. Enjoy the cake. <laughs> exactly. The cake's outside. <laughs> uh, but it was, but the concept, and I don't know if I've said this before in any discussions, but the concept, the fact that the concept of a library still exists just makes me 
ridiculously happy. The idea that you can walk into a building, you can borrow something without having to leave a deposit or your firstborn or, you know, give you, away all just of a your little car, a little blue car that you can apply for. Exactly. And then take something home with you and you could take home a book or a CD or a DVD. Or mm-hmm. if you come to our library, we have a telescope you can take out. We have a ukulele you can borrow. You can get tickets to go to the uh, You can MFA get tickets to the MFA or to the, P- or to the PBD Essex, to the Science Museum. It is, it just And when we astounding. had our librarians on, they were telling us gardening tools, We have gardening bikes, tools as well. Different yeah. weird stuff. Yeah, so, that's yeah. just it. We have a ukulele. We have a, a telescope. We have gardening tools. Yeah, we have all kinds and of stuff. And if you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I just don't want to walk in there. That's perfectly fine because most libraries these days, you can borrow stuff online. Yes, you can. You can borrow it. Yep. It'll go right to your reader Whatever that is, and yeah. Then you if you, can ha- just send if you it have back. a Kindle or or whatnot, yeah. it'll go right to your Kindle. Absolutely, they can get you books. Somebody was lamenting that we are not part of the Noble system because Noble is very expensive. But we're, but that doesn't mean we can't borrow from other libraries. We right. we totally can. If if your library doesn't have a book, again, you can do this online. You can ask your librarian, and they will find it for you at another library. It's amazing, and, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. It's really awesome. Um, and the little free libraries are just an extension of that that I love. Um, so the founder, the guy that actually started the little uh, free library, actually died in October. Oh, I know. So that was kind of sad. He well, was sixty-two. Can you explain to people who don't know what a little free library? I will. Is? So if you you see them, you see them. They're all over the place, and you can go to little free library. I think it's just littlefreelibrary.com. I'll put the link on our website, or I mean on our Facebook. Facebook page and you can check it out and they will they will give you a map of where they are located. That's the only thing you need. You they want you to register with them. So, but they're just freestanding little boxes. They almost look like giant birdhouses. Um, they're really usually very sweet looking on a post and you, I mean, in Marblehead, like, yeah, well colored. Yeah, they're always painted really bright really colors. Cute, yeah. Um, and people stock them with books. Usually somebody starts it. Um, in Marblehead, there's one, somebody has one in their yard, right, right across the street from Abbott Hall. And you can, and you can just stop and borrow a book. I hilariously and if you drove, have a book, you can bring one. If you have a book you want to get rid of, you can drop a book off. I there. drove up uh, Elm Street and uh, on the Malden Medford Stoneham line the other day. And I realized halfway up the hill, there's a little free. And I thought, well, if you are climbing this hill and you get to that middle point, you're going to take a little rest. It's the perfect it's the place perfect spot for, for one. Yeah. And that, and you know, when you don't, there's no, there's no overdue fee. If you don't bring the book back, no one's going to come and hunt you down and, and grab it from you. But the idea is that you either bring the book back or you trade. If you have a book to donate, you can take a book. A bajillion years um, ago, they used to do that on the tea stations. They would have, you know, le- take a book, leave a book yes. places and yep. some tea stations. A lot of people will read books and just leave them on the train for the next person to pick up. If I they don't understand a book. that. I don't know. I think it's kind of neat. I don't understand that. And sometimes they'll put a note in it and just say, enjoy this book. And sometimes they don't. I, I just think that's I don't cool. understand that. I don't know. I like it. I like the like, idea. I can't leave my book. No. Leaving it for somebody. Well, I don't keep every book I read, though. I keep some books. I have I a lot books. of books. I need to get rid of some of my books. Yeah, but every not, year I do a purge. A lot of times I read a book and go, "Okay, that was really good," but I don't have any need to keep that, and I'll put it in a stack for the library sale. Yeah, so that was good. Yeah. yeah, every I think every every year we do a book purge at my house. We have a book that uh, or a big plastic bin that everything goes into. We have two: one for the keep pile, and one for the this has to go pile. <laughs> or, or we're gonna we're gonna um, go and take that away, or, or we're gonna take that to the used bookstore yeah. or the library. Goes gets that. 
we always donate a whole bunch of books. I recently always... had a book just uh, completely fall apart on me, and I still haven't been able to bring myself to throw it away. I mean, there's no putting it's a it's no. What old, was the book? It was an old paperback. It was it was a ridiculous book. It's I shouldn't say it's a ridiculous book. It's Patty Jane's House of Curls. It's just one of those fun. Chicklet reads. I know people hate that phrase, but it, you know that you've read a million of, times. I know I've read it. I this was I think only the second time I've read it, but it's, it has sat on my shelf for years. I my mother gave it to me years ago, and I read it. Um, it's just a cute little light fun read. It's actually a really sweet book. I'm I'm gonna look up because I can't remember who wrote it. I think you should take a picture of it and put it on our Facebook page. Okay, I can do that. Like this falling I, apart. So book. while I was re- I decided that I I just wanted to read something familiar. I don't know if if our listeners ever reread books. I reread them all the not all the time, but I reread them a lot. Um, I think that's the theme for today. Rereading because I'm rereading Annapolis, which is by William Martin. <laughs> I, I wanted to reread something that I haven't really looked at in a really long time that's been sitting in my pile to to look at again. Um, and this was just the perfect opportunity. I always say I'm going to reread um, A Prayer for Owen Meany because it's one of my all-time favorite books. And I haven't read it in a very long time and I want to see if it is still one of my all-time favorite books. I just want to see if it holds up. Isn't that scary? Like sometimes yeah. you'll read something like this is such an impact on me. And then you read it later and you go, what was I thinking? No, I think I'll still love it. I still love John Irving. So he's still one of my he's favorite. He's one of your favorites. Yeah. Um, not everything. There are books of his that I'm not a fan of, but I do love. I love Hotel New Hampshire. I love Cider House Rules. I loved A Prayer for Owen Meany is, is my favorite. So what are you reading now? I am reading right now. I'm reading I'll Be Your Blue Sky by Marissa De Los Santos. Wow. Yes, I know. What is that about? Um, it's good. It's, it, it is a story that's told from two different perspectives. And one of them is a woman named Edith who is in the 1950s. And the other is modern day Claire who is um, about to bail on her wedding day. And modern day Claire meets Edith. But while she modern day Edith, yes, meets modern day Edith um, because she Edith is staying at the same place where Claire is getting married. But um, but the, the book opens with with Edith's wedding in the 1950s and where she and her husband um, end up buying a house. He buys a house for them as, the, as her wedding present, and it's this fabulous house. Um, and so you, her story of her um, life with her husband unfolds as Claire's, well, sort of doesn't unfold because she's about to bail on her wedding day. <laughs> it, fo- it folds all right. <laughs> yeah. And Just so doesn't so unfold. Every chapter, you know, we start with Edith, then we're Claire, then we're Edith, then we're Claire. It's good. I'm, I'm about maybe, I'm only like a third of the way through the book, but, I, but I'm enjoying it. It's good. Yeah. Now, Again, I don't mean to harp. So that's one of the things that you know we want to ask Bill about because that his books do that a lot. Like he'll go from yeah, he jumps the history, time a lot. the history, and then he goes into whatever the current hero um, is doing, and then back into the history. And some people don't really don't really like that. They my husband, con- I didn't mention. I yeah, I don't oh, yeah. I don't want to mention this to him. But my husband hates time travel books. He gets confused. He just gets confused by them. He's like, I never know where I am. I never know what you know. Okay, because he would really hate. There's yeah. a there's on our Facebook page is a uh, a recommendation that we put up a, a book called the Seven and a Half Deaths of I think it's called Evelyn Hard Hardcastle Hardcourt I can't remember the last name, but it is you just take a little bit of quantum leap a body leaping. Yeah, I, I don't mind doing this. I like you doing t- this. You take science fiction. You'll take and, and it's just a little bit of that. It's like old timey um, England. So it's Agatha Christie meets Downton Abbey and then <laughs> you, totally my kind of book. you really have no and I it's funny because I read the reviews for some of this and it was just an equal match of 
I can't read this book. It's psychotic to <laughs> other people saying you, you need a flow chart to keep track of this. But it was so intricately written. I would have loved to have seen this man's house or his writing space as all these notes. Post-it notes everywhere. Like, I'm sure. This happened with this character. Just to yeah. keep track of it. Because I started out going, what? And then trying to keep track of them. And it was a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah. So some books are like that. Some people just really don't like the alternating timelines. They don't like too many, too many diversionary timelines or too many voices in their book. They like a simple book. But I love it. The more complicated, the better. Um, I was just, it made me, when you talked about that, um, putting all of the, like, notes up everywhere. Did you ever see the movie uh, Memento? No. It's about a guy who can't remember anything ever. I mean, like, every day is a new day for him. And so he does. He has all these sticky notes. He has all these tattoos and stuff on his arms. And he's trying to piece together his story. So you almost see the movie, like, backwards. Is this, like, 51st Date? Um, well, it's a little darker than that. It's very much darker than that. Okay. But it's a good movie. It's, like, it, it's, I want to say it's, like, 2005 or something like that. But it was a good movie. Um, yeah, it drove my husband right out of his mind. He's like, I can't even watch this because he could not. He just could not. He's a brilliant man, by the way. But he, he just, his mind just well, doesn't move. It's like when people say, I can't read uh, a Game of Thrones series, or I can't read the, the Shannara books, or I can't read, um, you know, the wizard, those wizard books by Terry Goodkind. I just, I can't read those because they have too many characters. I mean, these guys have written the companion to such and such, which yeah. is just a glossary of like, you can look that up and be like, who the heck is that? Um, I love books that come with the glossary. I don't know, you know, that remind me who... Who characters yeah, are. Yeah, characters are. And play and maps. Although sometimes I can't always make sense of the maps. But I love books that also have maps. I hilariously think my husband like will pick out like the last um, book. He's like book five of Game of Thrones. He picked it up. He's like, do you realize that this glossary is almost <laughs> just as big? Yeah, well, that's as, true. Uh, that it's a little, yeah. Then sometimes it's a little crazy. It's a little confusing yeah. for some people. But um, that'll be interesting. We should ask Bill about that. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine, especially his books, because they're very intricately, the history is amazing. Yeah. I mean, he's writing two books, really. Yeah, do you write write the history first, or do you, I'm going to ask him that, I'm going to ask him if he he writes that first. Very cool. It's an interesting, it's an interesting concept. It is, it is. I don't know if I could do it, but... It's it's fun to read because you just you get so lost. Oh yeah, lost and swept away like Gone with the Wind. (laughs) Read that book at twelve. 1500 pages I've never read Gone with the Wind it's my mother's favorite book but I've never read it she has my mother has like seven different copies of I think, it. yeah I know yeah. you mentioned that before it's just yeah. it's a, such a they're all different copies I mean they all have like a different cover they're like printed from a different How era cool is that? yeah she How just cool is that? You, I, I think we've, uh, we have talked about this before for me it's the book Illusions if I see it at a flea market I can't leave it on the table I have to buy it um, and Gone with the Wind was the same She's way for like my mother. She's got 40 copies. Yeah. So what's, what's, what, what else is on your shelf? For, what, do you, what else are you re- like looking at? Because I know you, you always have like two or three going at um, the same time. Well, right? I have Dan Albert's new book. Um, oh, we're going to have him as a guest yeah, on in the future. Yeah, we're going to have him on as a guest. I was just looking <laughs> at it. Um, and now um, I'm trying to... Are We There Yet? I'm looking up is the name of it. So he is a Marblehead guy. And he has written sort of the definitive um, book on the American, the American automobile, past, present, and driverless. So it's a sort of a history of the car and where we're going, oh. and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm not like a real car junkie, but I love cars. I mean, like we drive down the street, and I'll be like, oh my god, did you see that car? I love 
I love so you're not cars. quite a gearhead, but you're no. Just I don't on know a lot about of... cars. I could change. I could change the oil in my Volkswagen, and, and wow. I could. Yeah, I mean, I could change. I'm impressed. Spark plugs and, and do that. I kind can't of even do that. I could get my I could get my boyfriend's old Pontiac Le Mans going when uh when it would break down. But that's, I could do well. That's but that was true. I could do it too. I'd drive over to like Valvoline. Hi, I would Valvoline. say that was before cars became computerized. Now I know nothing. Now I can't do anything. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, but um, but I do. But I love cars. My dad was a real car guy. Um, and we we have a whole photo album it's the wheels and deals of Jim Carnwright and it's like every car he ever owned because wow. he would just one day come home with a new car I'm like um, what happened to our old car and he's like oh, I traded so and so because I just don't you just love this car yeah all the time yeah dad we can't fit the entire family in there right uh, he, once or twice but usually we always had two cars because we did my mom drove an El Camino for years and so if you oh know what an God. El Camino is you, it had a bench seat so you could put three in the front oh there you go the, in those days you actually could still put people in the back of a pickup truck El Camino is not a pickup truck it's kind of a car with a it's a car yeah, pickup it's not yeah, like a, a car with a truck bed yeah. in the, uh, the uh, yeah, look that up. Google that if you're thinking. You're, you're thinking. That. What is yes, that? Because my husband will always talk about how his father had a gremlin. Not just. A and I'm like, what movie. is a? Oh, gremlin? I had a gremlin too. <laughs> What's a gremlin? I had to Google it. I was like, what is that? Oh, oh my, my goodness. God. So I came home from college and I got. I was driving home from school with my boyfriend at the time, and we got in an accident and totaled my car. I was not driving, but that's okay. I don't blame him. It was I said. Bridges Freeze first. I'll never forget that for the rest of my life. Because um, he was from the South and we were in Maryland and it was cold and we hit black ice on a bridge and it was all over. Oh my. Yeah. You're so, lucky you didn't get hurt. Um, no, we were fine. Car was not. So now we're in New Hampshire and I, we've got to get back to Florida. So my dad buys me. He's like, I'm getting you a new car. And I was like, you know what? We'll just fly home. We'll be fine. I don't need a car. You really do in Tampa. It's very spread out. You really kind of do. Although I had a bike. Um, and he came back with a gremlin and I was like, I would rather fly. <laughs> I would rather ride my bike. Please don't make me drive that car. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Again, Google I gremlin. will say it got me to and from Florida because so, a year later I graduated. I packed everything that I could fit into it and drove home by myself. And it was an awesome trip. Me and my gremlin. <laughs> so it should, I, that should be your book title. Know, me and, me my, and gre- my gremlin. Me and my gremlin. <laughs> so it should be fun that we, uh, we will be. Yeah, I'm looking, to him. I'm looking forward to Dan's, Dan's an interesting, is a really interesting guy. And so we'll set a date and get him out here to talk to us and tell us about his book. And I'm looking forward to uh, to perusing that. So um, what's on your nightstand? What are you reading? Well, I, uh, I like I said, I'm reading, rereading Annapolis. So that's fun. And from there, I have no idea. I have like, I literally have a pile of like six books that I keep looking at going, maybe that one, maybe that one. Oh no, maybe that one. And then, and then of course, you know, you know, other people start talking about what they're reading. And I'm like, oh, 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 that sounds really good. Well, I want to go right, read Back Bay now that, you know, I mean, now that I've looked into Bill Martin and I have all the stuff he's written, I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go get Back Bay. I will tell you this book I picked up, I'll Be Your Blue Sky. I bought it in the airport a year ago. So I'm just getting around to reading it now. Oh, yeah. I, w- I was flying down to see my parents, and but I, for whatever reason, didn't end up reading. Oh, because I had a movie on the plane. Who knew? That was awesome. I was like, oh, I don't need the book. So, yeah, I just, I mean, there's, there's, and they're all sort of different genres. So I, it depends on when I, when I get done with this, this, this again, and go, oh, I love this book again. Um, what, yeah, what will sort of strike my interest? Will it be like some, you know, some far stretching epic? You know, will I dive back into the Expanse series that I've been reading for a while, or will I just want to just pick up because you wrapped game of thrones right oh yes i did and the season and i'm not going to get into it you should be proud of yourself i know you know everybody kept reading like uh, listening to me blab on in our early podcast about why are you reading game of thrones i'm still reading game of thrones here's game no i finished it 
And then I started. How many books was that? Five gigantic five. books, okay. thousands of pages. Um, and so I finished it, and then I went into all. I had all seven seasons, so I just you know clipped through them really quickly. And um, my husband kept jumping in and out here and there, going, well, "What happened to this person?" I'm like, "I am not answering you. I do not want you. <laughs> we to can't ask, get into that. Don't now. ask me questions. <laughs> Here's the flow chart." Um, <laughs> So I get you really do. I was like, don't answer. No, I can't talk to you about this right now. And then that would I, be hilarious if somebody did that. Oh, did Lord. a flow chart. Yeah. Oh, the, you can't. You know. And so I finished it right. Just and I finished season seven, two episodes from the end. And then our coworker and friend Brian said, "You got to watch this on HBO." So you know, I have some friends who uh, snuck me their password, and I just start. You know, I watched them, and so I caught up just as everyone else did. So everyone else was waiting for the last episode and I caught up like two days before and I came to work and the entire newsroom was like, oh my God, are you going to watch Game of Thrones on Sunday? And I could finally have an intelligent conversation with people about it. <laughs> you know, there was no, they, they couldn't look at me and go, oh wait, you don't know that yet. Yeah. So I knew everything. So I could just, I could just talk to them about it. Not me. I'm totally in the, in the dark. And it's not because I know there are people who are like, oh, I've never watched it and I'm proud of it. It's not that. I just, I don't have HBO and and it, I think it is on Prime. Actually, I probably could watch yeah. it. I just I get I just haven't. I, I get know. very anxious now. Now I've joined the, the thousands and millions. Of I'm behind on everything now. George R.R. Martin fans who are like, "Where's book six? I'm always late to the party, so I'll watch it. You know, two years from now, I'll watch it and be like, oh my and God. book six will probably still not be out, <laughs> probably not. and probably not book seven either. So um, yeah, so I don't know what I mean. Last summer when we had that big heat wave stretch of days. Remember like it was like we yeah. had like seven to 10 days of absolutely yes. over hundred degree weather. Yes. I was on vacation and we had a lot of plans. The first week we had a, a big house project and we couldn't do it because we couldn't too hot. It was too hot to go and do anything. I remember that. So all I did was just read cozy mysteries, like 200 page books. <laughs> and I like blasted through like 15 of those things. And it was great because I had like, I found a couple of new series that I, that I've really kept up with and I've enjoyed but, you know, will I do that again? I don't know. It's yeah. it's kind of fun not to know, like to just look at the six and go, yeah. which one will it be? Exactly. Sometimes I pick them up, I read a few pages and go, hmm, not in the mood for this now. I'm going to, let me find another one. So yeah, we'll see. It's like having pizza or Chinese food. You're like, yeah. eh, I don't really want to have yeah. that tonight. Let me just pick something else. Yep. But one thing we absolutely will do is wanting to be reading Bill's. Yes. Bill's book. P- yeah. yeah. That'll be a summer. That'll be one of my summer It'll reads. Be, oh, yes. It's perfect for the summer because it takes place during the summer. Oh, perfect. So mm. it's great. So when we come back, yep. we well, will be speaking to, can I just say it again, New York Times bestselling author, William Martin, who lives in Cambridge and is a local guy. And Nell has met him, so she's even more of a fangirl. I am so excited. Yeah, she's, it's lucky she doesn't show up at his house. We might have to call the police on that. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to have to report my boss for something. <laughs> so, hey, we'll be, uh, we'll be right back with uh, Bill Martin. Have Great. All yes. Right, cool. Join us back here. Hey, welcome back to Book Nation. I'm Nell Coakley. I'm Chris Stevens. And uh, we are, you know, everybody always says to me, we're, you guys are always so super excited to meet everybody, but th- <laughs> we are, <laughs> we are, we are, we're book nerds. Um, and today we have a, a very special guest. Now I have met, I, I just want to say I've met him before. I actually did a story on him in 2008 um, at the Metro Public Library. They were having him. He was going to be a special guest there. And I just 
wigged out because I was so excited because I had all his books. I still have all his books. She told me she completely bombarded you. Yes, I completely went. I brought all my books and I made him sign. So our special guest today is William Martin. Bill, how are you? Nell and Chris, how are you? Uh, it's great to talk to you. <laughs> and by the way, nothing makes me happier than when somebody shows up with a bag full of my books to sign. I bet. I yeah. He was signing all night. He was like, oh, wow, you really do have all my books. <laughs> she she actually had two here just in case she could uh, somehow get you to uh, do them long distance. But we, just will, so- we will take care of that as soon as possible. All yes. right. <laughs> Very good. So Bill has a uh, brand new book out in hardcover. Um, it is called Bound for Gold. Uh, and it is the latest in your Peter Fallon series. Yes. So now I'm at a disadvantage and I should apologize because I've not read the Peter Fallon series, but I've been looking at it. So Back Bay is the first one. Yep. Yep. All right. I was 29 years old when that book came out. A boy genius. (laughs) Wow. And it's, I mean, you had no plans to sort of make it a book series because there was such a long time between Back Bay and Harvard. That is true. Yeah. So are they all Massachusetts? Are they all sort of Massachusetts themes? No, I have uh, I I moved away from that uh, with uh, with the, the uh, fourth book, which is called City of Dreams. The okay, fourth, yep. Fourth Peter Fallon. That's set in New York, and then um, uh, the Lincoln Letter, which comes after that, is set in Civil War Washington, and Bound for Gold wow. is set in San Francisco. Oh uh, wow! Okay, I, I'd get I would get a little bored if I just stayed in Boston all of the time. This is true. Is small. <laughs> although, although I have to say, I've been thinking of bringing bringing Peter and Evangeline back for one more go in a book called Beacon Hill someday. So nice. we'll see about that. Yeah. So can you tell tell us a little bit about for the for the folks listening um, a little bit about the Peter Fallon series and how you sort of started with that idea and decided to continue it later on. Well, Back Bay, as I say, was my first novel. I had um, gone to Hollywood to write screenplays, and uh, nobody wanted to produce any of the screenplays that I wrote. (laughs) Even though the script that forms the basis for Bound for Gold uh, was written back then, 40 years ago, and uh, and won the famous Hal Wallace Screenwriting Fellowship. So I, wow. yeah, well, I got to meet the man who produced Casablanca, Yankee Doodle Dandy. Oh, that's so cool. Wow. All the, all the Elvis movies, uh, True Grit and so forth. <clears throat> but anyway, he didn't want to produce that screenplay. So I had this idea in my head about buried treasure beneath the streets of Boston. And um, uh, that became Back Bay. Uh, and I tried to pitch it originally as a screenplay about a young Hmm. Boston graduate student, namely Peter Fallon, who's trying to prove to his father that studying history wasn't a waste of time because the father wants wants him to go to law school. And and Peter uh, finds a way to track that tea set down. And I decided there has to be an interesting uh, narrative technique that will lift this out of the uh, realm of basically being just another buried treasure thriller. Sure. I said, well, what if the history comes to life? Uh, what if we see in alternating chapters Peter Fallon's journey uh, toward finding the tea set and, um, and the movement of this Paul Revere tea set that is at the heart of the plot 
the movement of that tea set through time. And once I had figured that narrative technique out, I had something that was pretty unusual. And yeah. people, people really loved it. Most people. Occasionally, you'll <laughs> I absolutely hate going back and forth in time. Oh, my uh, God. I love it. Yeah. yeah. And so I, uh, it's become kind of a trademark of the Peter Fallon novels. The problem is that uh, it causes those novels to take extra time because I'm basically giving you two books in one with sure. multiple arcs, the arcs of character and plot and scene, uh, all of them basically each of it's almost like a, um, a, a lot of Russian dolls where you have that, that one idea and it's wrapped around two or three more ideas and all of them have to be coherent and make sense to the reader. And, uh, how do you do that? Like, do you, I, I've always wanted to ask you, do you, do you write the Peter Fallon portion first or do you write the history first? Do you do them as alternating as you actually write along? Well, the best way to do them, uh, the truest way to do them. Now I'm sounding like Hemingway. The truest, <laughs> way, uh, the truest way to do them is to, is to write the book as you expect the reader to experience it. So you have the Peter Fallon, then you have the history back and forth. And um, I've, done, I've done it that way wherever possible. But, you know, this is a business. And there are people waiting for the delivery of these books. <laughs> and if all of a sudden you're way behind on what Peter Fallon's going to do, but you have a pretty clear idea of what the historical characters are going to do, uh, the smartest thing to do is just keep writing, baby. Keep uh, <laughs> right. doing it because Don't we know that? Yeah. That's right. That is amazing. Right. I mean, it's like you said, it really is two books in, in one. It's That's amazing that you can tie yeah. that together. I, I always get caught up. Like I get caught up in the history, and then the the chapter ends, and then it's Peter Fallon. I'm, oh, we got to go back to Peter Fallon. Then I'm like in into what Peter Fallon yeah, and Evangeline are doing. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, now we're going back to the history. I can't believe yeah. somebody I'm, – I'm looking, I'm thinking when you said, you know – that they weren't really interested in, in it as a screenplay. And I'm thinking, come on, Nicolas Cage got National Treasure made. Oh, <laughs> like, I, know. This, I know. This sounds like it would be perfect. <laughs> well, well, when that first movie came out, I went, uh, took my daughter to see it with me. Uh, I think she was about 15 at the time. And uh, throughout the whole movie, she was elbowing me in the rib saying, they stole that from you, Dad. They stole that from you, Dad. <laughs> totally. I could totally see that. And, and let me just say up front, the only thing that you, that you can really accuse anybody of stealing is expression. Plot points, big ideas, oh, yeah. stories, titles, even titles, uh, are, are, you can't steal them. So yeah. I, I, I would have been more than happy if they had turned the Peter Fallon novels into a series of movies or a TV series. And af after uh, City of Dreams was released, that's the one where Peter goes to New York City and he and Evangeline get into a, uh, a search for a box of bonds issued during the American Revolution that represent the, the unretired debt of the American Revolution. And there are such bonds. Anyway, wow. that, that was optioned by ABC, and their idea had been to turn it into a big 12-week uh, miniseries. Sure. If, if that had worked, they would have done some of the other novels. But, mm -hmm. you know, you could starve 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, again, waiting, I'm thinking waiting for, waiting for Hollywood to show up. This would be perfect for Netflix. It or would. Amazon, well, right? I'm thinking this summer. That's exactly what they do now. They do these 12 week. Yeah. series during the summer and there's one right now what is it like blood and treasure or something like that and it is yeah. it's it's again it's another treasure hunt that's yeah. totally what it is yeah. now, how did you how did you decide to bring peter back in uh, is it harvard i can't remember the right. title now harvard yard in, harvard yard which out, i love too it it came out in 2003 and um that one had been an idea that uh, i had been kicking around for a while how about a novel about the history of Harvard? Because I had done one uh, about the history of the U.S. Navy and, and of the Naval Academy called uh, Annapolis. And um, uh, I thought I would just look in a little bit different direction and do a similar one about a different kind of uh, educational institution. And the, uh, the evolution of Harvard from that, that Puritan seminary on the Charles uh, in 1638 to the huge, complex, wealthy, and uh, forward-thinking institution of today uh, matches, in a way, the arc of American history from those early, early days when it was just a few of us clustered here in New England to what this country is like today. So that was the big idea for that book. And, uh, and then I thought, well, what will hold this story together? And a friend of mine at the Massachusetts Historical Society said, you know, there's a legend, so I can't write about it because I'm a historian, but you're a novelist, so maybe you can, <laughs> that John Harvard's parents knew William Shakespeare. And I thought to myself, a Shakespeare wow. manuscript, and who would go after it? How about that graduate student that we first met 25 years ago in Back Bay? There and that was, that was the evolution of the, uh, the writing of that book. And once Peter came back, uh, I, he, he did well in Harvard Yard. And I thought, well, let me write one more. And that was The Lost Constitution. And um, The Lost Constitution was a New York Times bestseller, did very well. So... My publishers, uh, when I submitted a, a different kind of idea to them, came back to me and they said, we've got, got some good news and some bad news. <laughs> the bad news is we don't want this, this idea that you've given to us about uh, ancient Rome uh, and ancient Britain. A novel I may write someday, by the way. Oh, good. But, but the good news is we want two more Peter Fallon books. Wow. And so that became... Uh, City of Dreams, and then the Lincoln Letter. And, uh, and then it was only natural when I turned my eye to San Francisco and the gold rush that Peter go out there too and go searching for a lost gold rush journal that locates uh, a lost river of gold. Cool. I just can never decide which one I love most. I, I, I waffle between, you know, Back Bay and uh, Harvard Yard. Oh, I do. Well, I'm like, I don't know choice. which one I love more. Which one do I love more? I don't know. And then I was going over <laughs> it last night going, which one do I really love more? And I was like, I don't know. I, I love them all. Yeah. I always we, like the next one. That's my, that's my next, that's, that's my. That's always your favorite. Yeah. Yeah. You must do a lot of research to make oh, it yes. all. So. Well, that has always been uh, one of the, the pleasures of, of writing books like this. I've always believed that uh, if we're writing historical fiction, 
while the story takes precedence, while, uh, as, um, <clears throat> as Gore Vidal said, those who get their history from historical fiction get the history they deserve, uh, I've always believed that, the, that as true a depiction of the history as I can deliver is probably the best way to deliver uh, the best reading experience because history is just filled with character and plot and oh, drama yeah. and, uh, and all of the things that, that we love to write about and all of the things that people love to read about. People read stories to see how human beings uh, advance their lives and, uh, and resolve their problems through conflict, through the testing of their ideas or of themselves or of their society. And uh, um, that's what history is all about. Have you always been a history buff? Were you, I mean, even as a kid, was history right. sort of yeah, your well, thing? When I, when I was a kid, I fell in love with all the, the big movies of that era, like Lawrence of Arabia and Mutiny on <laughs> the Bounty and movies like that. Sure. That... Uh, weren't necessarily deadly historic, dead on historically accurate, but which presented to us historical events, showed us characters who appeared to be larger than life, like Lawrence, for example, mm -hmm. and yet characters who have, as it turns out, feet of clay, who are as <laughs> human, as, human mm -hmm. as we are. And, um, and so what I really like to do and the lesson I guess I drew from those days was that, you know, those people back there that seem like giants to us today were quite often very much like us, just trying to uh, figure out how to get from the first stage of their life to the next stage. And, uh, and somehow they found, uh, they found greatness within them. That certainly is the, uh, uh, the vision that I have of George Washington, about whom I have written mm -hmm. Uh, numerous times over the, yes. you know, in probably in half of my books, and I wrote a whole book about him. I was thinking you, you did a PBS series about did, him, didn't you? I did yeah. the American Experience episode yes. on George Washington, uh, in which I wrote and narrated it and played the uh, <clears throat> then young historian <laughs> traveling, <laughs> traveling from one battlefield to the next. That's but that cool. brings me that brings me back to the question you asked a moment ago about research. Mm -hmm. And uh, with that film, I did a lot of visiting of battlefields. But with every one of my books, I really like to walk the ground. I like to go to the places where history happened uh, at, because some of the aspects of the geography will never change. Sure. The lay, the lay of the light on a particular day, the smell, the smell of the wind. Uh, and, and you can gather, uh, if you have a, a vivid imagination, which I guess I have, you can feel, you can gather in the ghosts and have a conversation with them. You know, when I was writing the Lincoln letter, uh, which is about uh, the Civil War, obviously, and uh, about a young lieutenant and his adventures, uh, I knew I was going to have a battle scene in the book. And so whenever we'd go to Washington, my wife and I, uh, we'd go, I'd say, well, let's go to Ball's Bluff. Let's go to Manassas. Well, let's go to Antietam. Gettysburg isn't a very far drive away. And she'd always say to me, when are you going to figure out which battle you want to write about? <laughs> Pick I'm one. I'm tired of battlefields. And I said, well, you know, I'm not sure. 
but I'm really enjoying the battlefields. <laughs> and so, so she did to her to her credit. She walked twice with me across the uh, uh, the ground at Gettysburg that the Confederates wow. covered on the third day, and and that kind that kind of research is always very exciting. Yeah, I bet uh, it is. With Annapolis, the Navy was very good to me way back when. Once they once they figured out that I was not. Uh, going to write something nasty about them. <laughs> I, I was able to go on nuclear submarines. Wow. Uh, I flew off of an aircraft carrier. <gasps> I had, That'd be awesome. Yeah, it was. Well, the, the last thing that the executive officer of the aircraft carrier said to me was the first thing that I, the first line of the novel, I decided to use it as the first line of the novel. Cause you, you know, you, you get all dressed up, you go, you're gonna go aboard a plane that's about to be catapulted off of an aircraft carrier. Yeah. And that catapult, when it hits, could throw a pickup truck over the horizon. Sure, uh, yeah. And he said to me as I climbed onto the plane, don't have your tongue between your teeth. Of course, if you have your tongue between your teeth, it might end up in your lap. Yeah. And so uh, that became the first line of the, uh, of the novel. And you never, you never quite know when you go somewhere or talk to people what exactly you will gain from them that will become part of the narrative. Like yeah, a I'm lot sure. Like that. Yeah. Now, I, lo- I love history, so I think that's why I love your books so much. I just, I feel like, so swept away in the whole every time I'm reading one of them and I'm I'm you're you're writing about the historical part not so much Peter Fallon but um <laughs> when I, I just feel so swept away in the whole thing I'm like what oh yes this is amazing uh, I feel like the you know and I and I start to oh I hate that character oh I love this character when is that character going to get their comeuppance yeah um so I've been rereading Annapolis and you know I had forgotten you know a lot of oh I love this character oh he's dead now oh my god but you know you take them from like being small children through their part of the novel and then you know well yep. they die because they have to die because they can't go on forever That's and right. it's just it's amazing how you just sort of you're like oh and then you subtly introduce the next character who's about to take up the mantle of the story, you just get, I get so swept away in these adventures. Well, I'm glad you do. The, the, the Annapolis <laughs> was a big challenge and it took me a long time to write it. But uh, uh, one of the great satisfactions sometimes when you write any novel is to do so, the things that you've just been describing, introducing characters, seeing where they go, seeing what they do and so forth. And there are characters in that book who grow ever larger as the novel unfolds. And uh, I, dis- I discover things about them that I- cause me to go rushing back to, uh, to expand their first scene and make them even more uh, impactful to the plot. I, well, just, I just got to the part where Ethan Stafford uh, buys out the fine folly. And I was just like, is he still alive? <laughs> I was like, wait, we yeah. met him so long ago. He's still alive. Yeah. Oh, well that, that happens after, uh, after the Spanish American war, I think. Yes. And, I was and like, and he's your, still here. And for your listeners out there, they should know that, uh, this novel begins with pirates raiding the Chesapeake and the the 1700s, early 1700s. Yeah. Right before the revolutionary cool. war. Right, and it ends with Vietnam. Uh, wow, that is quite a span. It is right. a huge span. I but mean, you get I, so caught up in their lives, and you're like, oh, I can't believe he would leave. Uh, uh, like, what is going uh, to happen? 
You have all the right reactions. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I'm going to be quiet and let you talk. <laughs> I'm so swept away by Bill's books. Yeah. I can tell. Yeah. Now, do you do you ever have a character who gets completely away from you? Let your do they sort of take a life of their own where you're just like I didn't, you know, come back. <laughs> we I, we can't go there. That's a whole separate novel. I like to think so, but I think if you're doing if you're doing the job well, the characters will grow in front of you and become mm-hmm. uh, personalities of their own, like your children in a way. But uh, you try never to let them get entirely away from you and uh, and do things that you uh, you wouldn't want them to do or that they're. Uh, the groundwork that you lay for them suggests that they wouldn't do. Uh, so I love, I love it when something happens that surprises me or something that I, I just haven't thought of that really seems right. You know, there's a, there are some scenes in, um, bound for gold that surprised me when I got to them. And, uh, I think <laughs> that, um, I think that if you can make the, if you can be an opportunist about your writing, when you get to a moment that surprises you, make sure that you you commit to it and then that you understand how it redirects the story and and then go back and do the necessary things to uh, to, to to lay the trap logically for the reader. Can can you talk can you talk about that a little cuz I can I can sort of hear people saying, well, how does that surprise you? You're the writer. You should know yeah. where you should know what's happening. How do you get to a point when you're writing where you think, Oh, okay. I didn't see that coming. How well, do you not see that coming? <laughs> well, you know, when you're writing a, an adventure novel, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, one of my novels, uh, the rising of the moon involves a love triangle. And, uh, in this love triangle, somebody's going to get killed. And I'm not sure who ah. when, I, when I get to the end of the book and when it when it happened, uh, you know, I was just writing like crazy in this this big scene at the end of the book and uh, the bullets are flying and I didn't know who was going to get hit by that bullet. And when it happened, I was so shocked. I was wiping tears <laughs> from my own. Oh. I swear to God. So it's almost like losing yourself in a stream of consciousness and just seeing where it goes. Right. And, okay. and the same thing happens in bound for gold where, uh, it's looking back on it. It's perfectly obvious to see from the beginning of the book, right through the inevitability of the, the, the death of one of those characters. And yet, uh, when I was writing to it, uh, I wasn't sure it was going to happen. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Interesting. And, uh, and I had the same reaction. And I I'm am freaking out. <laughs> I, I'm happy to say that my wife cried at that moment. And when that happens, I say, I got you. I got, you got it. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Okay, now I'm freaking out. I'm like, uh, is he going to kill Peter or Evangeline? I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to know, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, so you haven't read it yet? They're back in another book, so don't worry. <laughs> no, I, I no, I haven't read it yet. Oh, all right. I haven't picked it up yet. All right, that'll be next on the list. I know it is on on my list. Do you have a favorite out of all of the books you've written so far? Uh, you know, I wouldn't. 
I wouldn't say that uh, because it would be like saying, do I have a favorite of one of my three children? And, uh, <laughs> we don't want to let you the other books know. could just say yes. <laughs> so so I, I, I like them all in one way or another. Uh, I could probably do a ranking of them for you, telling you which of them I thought got me, got exactly to where I wanted to get everything and and then others where I can go back and look at them and say, well, you could have done this differently or you could have, mm-hmm. you know. I, I think that of, of all of the 11 novels, soon to be 12, I think that the the one that I, that is probably the, the, the best crafted is not a Peter Fallon novel and that's Citizen Washington. Washington, yeah, wow. that was really good. Yeah, which is the life of George Washington told through 12 narrators, all of whom tell their own story at the same time. Oh, I cried cool. when he died. Like, it was like a surprise. It was, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it was some kind of surprise. I was like, oh! <laughs> I really did my job. And and my wife was, I remember her being very moved by the few, by the uh, the scene with the wake at the end where, yeah. uh, you know, the guy who was in the room when he was born is sitting there in the dark with the corpse. It's an old Aww. And a scene like that, you know, you know you have tied up all the loose ends when you write yeah. are able to write a scene like that absolutely in a, in a book of that enormity and so i was very, i was very proud of citizen washington but i'm proud of all of them i lo- well, you know good. the thing the wonderful the wonderful truth about what i've been able to do across all these years is that um, first of all i know that work that i did 40 years ago is being enjoyed even as we speak, somewhere, That's cool. somewhere in this country, you know, somebody's reading Back Bay somewhere in America right now. And, and that's the nice, one of the satisfactions about it, that the, the footprints in the sand that we all leave, uh, they're, still, they're still there after all these years. But the other thing on a personal level is I've been able to meet all of these amazing people, uh, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, yeah, Josh, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, uh, Abigail Adams. Uh, I have I have looked in their eyes, and and I feel like I have done them justice in in uh, in creating them and the world that they inhabited. And, well, you certainly bring them to life. That's pretty yeah. cool. So yeah. you're 29, and you and you're 29, and you write the your first novel. You write Back Bay. I mean, did you yeah. ever envision that it was going to t- carry you this far? Once that happened, I think that I was. I didn't fully appreciate at that time. No, oh, you're 29. Who does? What a, what <laughs> exactly. a, right. I didn't pr- appreciate a lot. I didn't yeah. fully appreciate the um, uh, the enormous accomplishment, uh, the amazing lightning strike that it was for a first novel mm. to stay on the New York Times bestseller list for 14 weeks and and sell half a million copies. At twenty nine, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And, it's such uh, a cool book. Yeah, well, thank you. It and, stands up. So, it stands up so well, especially if you read that first and then you go right to Harvard Yard. You're like, oh my god. Well, I just caught up on the Louise Penny series, so I need a new series to start. So, okay. so this well, is good. This will be perfect. Now you have it. <laughs> it's the difference. It's the difference between you know a young Peter Fallon who's a grad student and Peter Fallon who is older and has lived a little and has his own, you know, business and, sure. 
the two of them meet up and you're like, sparks are going to fly. You're yeah. gonna, and you yeah. just get so excited about, about the whole thing. I know yeah. I'm gushing. Chris is looking well, at me like, no, okay, she's gushing. I did. They had in these characters were separated. You know, they don't, they don't get married at the end of back Bay, even though that, that is suggested. And it was just fun for me. Uh, when I, when she walks back into the room, uh, in his office, uh, and they start up their conversation again. I just, I loved writing that scene. And you get, uh, you get all goose pimply. Yeah. <laughs> I know I did. I was like, she's back. She's yeah. back in his life. <laughs> yep. Yep. And so I've, I've had a lot of fun with them ever since. So Bill, what can you give our, our book nation readers a little sneak peek? What's next for Peter and Evangeline? Well, for them, it's Bound for Gold, which is in the stores now. And if you ever want to go to San Francisco and experience the gold rush and the one of the most important events in American history, probably the most important of the first half of the 19th century, read Bound for Gold. The mm. next novel that I'm writing is a standalone uh, about World War II. It's a thriller that begins the day, the day after they bomb Pearl Harbor. And it ends on Christmas Eve, 1941. Wow. And it all, it all takes place in, in Los Angeles, on the Super Chief Crossing America, and in Washington, D.C. Oh, very cool. exciting. And that book should be done in a few months. And then I will probably return to Peter and Evangeline for one more adventure. Nice. One more. And so I- maybe next time they'll finally get married. <laughs> I'm hoping that would be a great scene. So I read that you put in like eight hours a day, most days writing. Do you still do that? I do. Eight, wow. Eight, eight or more. Uh, and uh, some days I don't get a damn thing written. But uh, <laughs> We understand that yeah, too. I totally get that. <laughs> right. Everybody who's ever written a word knows yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's just not there, but you need to put your rear end in the seat. Yep. And you need to stare at the screen or lean over the sheet of paper or do whatever it is. that. that I helps. can't tell you how many times I've watched my computer screen and written this the following sentence. This story is about, I really don't know what, but I'm just going to keep typing. <laughs> That's right. Because remember, it's, it's much easier to edit something bad that you've written than to uh, edit something good that you haven't written. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. It's <laughs> very true. All right, now that we've talked, we've we've talked all about all of the sort of cool, classy, uh, brilliant historic stuff you wrote. I wanna I wanna talk about something else that I read. Oh yeah, Ta- <laughs> she's been doing research on you, Bill. I well, I did. I had to look up, and I was very surprised. You say that none of your screenplays sold because it seems to me. Um, do you not have a Roger Corman classic cult yes, film I in do. your? <laughs> How did that go? Uh, it was not I who came up with the tagline, they're not human, but they hunt human women. <laughs> but the humanoids from the deep. Right. Right. <laughs> so uh, how did that come about? Well, I had, uh, when you're in Hollywood, you, you knock on every door. And yep, you do, I'm sure. Connections wherever. And I had made connections with Roger Corman's story editor. Uh, oh, and so she, great. And she had promised me an assignment at some point. And strangely enough, I was finishing the reading of the, uh, the galleys, the page proofs of Back Bay, 
when she called one night and said, well, we have an assignment for you. And I said, what is it? And she said, humanoids from the deep. We have the title and the tag, <laughs> tagline. And uh, remember, in those days, Roger Corman gave everybody in Hollywood a start. Oh, yeah. From Jack Nicholson. Uh, 1979 is what okay. I wrote. 79, okay. okay. I was going to say 80. Uh, yeah, okay. It came out in 1980. Okay. And uh, so naturally, I would take that opportunity. But oh, yeah. Between the time that the movie was released and uh, – uh, or I, that I wrote it and it was released – Back Bay came out, and so I, I no longer had to be known as the writer of, of such things. Although, when I, when I, the first time I met Stephen King at a party one night, somebody introduced me as the guy who had just written Humanoids from the Deep. Oh, that's his hilarious. Eyes, his eyes lit up. <laughs> he said, oh, I love that. I love the monsters and so on. But I, I was much more gratified when when – I said, well, I also wrote a novel called Back Bay, and he started on about the tea set uh, oh. <laughs> and Peter Fallon. I knew at that point that I had made an impression. You had made it. Well, yeah. you made an impression. He knew both. So that's amazing. That is yeah. really cool. Now, do, you, do, you, um, do you have like, have you met people that you're just, you just gush out and, and are like geek out about being a fanboy over? Uh, no, but I, I, I don't do that a lot. However, <laughs> I am, I am, uh, impressed by and honored to meet some people, particularly people that that are enormously accomplished and yet down to earth and very human, like yeah. Doris Kearns Goodwin. Uh, I was going to ask if you'd met her. I, I sort of assumed that you must have, but I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I know her pretty well. That's and, cool. Uh, she's... Um, She's a very nice person. So so is Stephen King. I don't hang out with him, but uh, <laughs> he, he's he's a very nice guy. Much different from what you might think based upon the books of his that you read. Yes, sure, we're, we're very big fans of Stephen. Yeah, King, actually, Chris we're and I. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I think one of the things about Stephen King to remember is that while many of us may fade away. Uh, in the, in the century uh, from the time that we get started until, you know, the hundred year mark. Although Back Bay has lasted for over 40 years now. So it's That's doing amazing. pretty well. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that, uh, that you must remember about King is that they will be reading him a hundred years from now. Yeah. Yeah. He looked upon uh, like the Edgar Allan Poe of our era. Absolutely. And, oh yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah. An amazing I feel like you're 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 going to go too, Bill. I I do. Well, I hope so. Thank you. I'm happy to say that all of my books, uh, in the next eight months, those that haven't been released on audiobook, uh, and right now you can get Lincoln, the Lincoln Letter, the Lost Constitution, and City of Dreams as audiobooks. <laughs> really? Because I'm a huge audiobook fan. All She's a junkie. Them, all of the rest of them are going to be released from uh, Brilliance Audio between now and January. Oh, cool. Uh, you're getting The Rising of the Moon in July. Uh, mm-hmm. Bound for Gold will come out on the same date as the paperback on October 29th. Oh, nice. So, you know, if, if you like audiobooks, and lots of people really do, uh, I think you'll uh, you'll you could have a total Bill Martin fest. I love it. I know what yeah. Chris will be getting for Christmas. I know, totally. Well, I spend a lot of time in my car, so I love audiobooks. Yeah. 
It's Good. fantastic. So, Good. Bill, now yes. we always ask this of, of every one of our guests, but what are you reading? What are you? What do you like to read? What's on your bookshelf? Well, right now I'm reading some fiction and some nonfiction. I always like to read the, the novels of Joseph Finder, who's a uh, um, writes great. Uh, oh yes, I best, love his books. Best thrillers. Oh, uh, they're great, and he's from Boston too. Yep, yep, and and a very nice guy. Uh, so I'm reading one of his, and I'm also uh, interested, not just because I'm writing about World War II, but because I'm interested in it anyway. I'm reading uh, a couple of books about World War II, including one called Spearhead about the Third Armored Division, which might bore you, I don't know, but is pretty exciting. <laughs> and, you know, if you really care about the difference between the 76 millimeter gun on the uh, Sherman M4 and oh. the 90 millimeter gun on the, uh, the uh, Pershing, <laughs> Pershing tank that replaced it, this is the book to That's read. That's the book. All right. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll do. be caring about that when we read your novel. <laughs> I, well, my job, my job is to take uh, things like that, details like that, and make them matter to you in some kind of narrative way. That's it. Yeah. You know, there's a great line from E.L. Doctorow, who, who has a lot of great lines about writing. Um, a great line in which he, he, of course, wrote, what I think what is probably my favorite novel, which is called Ragtime, which mm -hmm. I read every couple of years, came out in the 70s. Uh, and I read it just to see how he did it. But he once, he once said uh, that history tells you what happened. Uh, fiction tells you what it felt like. Huh. That's a and great line. My job is to make you know what it felt like to say march up the hill at the battle of fredericksburg in december of 1862 or uh, or march for women's suffrage in uh, 1914 or something like that because i've written about all all of those experiences mm -hmm. yeah awesome. and hope to continue yeah <laughs> but those are the things that I'm reading right now. Uh, I also like a novelist named David Taylor, who's not too widely known, but writes great uh, suspense, historical suspense novels. Oh, cool. Yeah. He, what's he written, Bill? Uh, he's written... Hold on. His latest book is called Night Watch. These are Michael Cassidy thrillers. And Michael Cassidy is a detective in New York City in the 50s. Uh, oh, night, wa night watch, night work, and night life. Um, night life was a good one. That was set in New York City, with the villain being uh, a lawyer by the name of Roy Cohn. Uh, oh, name, Roy Cohn, whose name gets bandied about on occasion these days as well. Uh, Very cool. I have to introduce yep. those to uh, my husband. Would like those. I know. I just Richard wrote that down. Like, yeah, Richard would like yep. those. Yep. They're okay. all. Yeah. But introduce your husband to my books. I will. I definitely will. <laughs> I know. I just told my husband uh, about uh, Bound for Gold, and he was like, well, when that comes out, I am definitely, I said, it is out. He said, when that comes out in paperback, I'm, I'm moving it to the top of my list. I yeah. said, well, okay. good. Okay. He's very much into San Francisco and, and yeah. how cool that, well, that whole well, area is. San Francisco really comes to life in the book, I think. Nice. And that's I one of the things that I, that I try to do with all of my books these Peter Fallon books is, is to give you a sense of a place 
that becomes a character. Boston really is a character in Back Bay. Sure, I can uh, see that. Civil War Washington filled with uh, with backstabbing and dishonesty <laughs> and, and uh, you know and gambling hells. They were called gambling hells, not gambling halls, and all the other things that that you could you could experience in Civil War Washington. It's so funny after the after reading the the Back Bay with the tea set, I started to think that tea set is cursed. That's all yes. I can think about. That T-set is cursed. Why do they want that t Yep, yep. Well, you know, people actually think it's real. I did some research at the Museum of Fine Arts when I was writing that book. And for years afterward, as somebody from the museum once told me, uh, people would come looking for the, for the Paul Revere uh, Golden Eagle T-set. That wow. is part of the plot. And I, <laughs> I thought to myself, I like it. I like it. <laughs> Yeah. That's awesome. That is so cool. Yeah, yeah. That that book really touched the imagination of people around here in Boston back cool. there. It uh, did. I mean, it makes me like I said, I, rereading Annapolis makes me want to run out there. I just want to go there now. I just want to go eat crab cakes and and yep. sit and look at the river and just for some reason stare at the uh, Naval Academy. Yeah, yeah, I do. I just I want to go there and just go, just to walk along and be and, and because you're right, like it just becomes a character unto itself, and it's just yep. you really whole, get swept away and go. I want to visit that that place. Yeah, the whole town does, and that that's uh, a product of just my interest in places like that. But in the fun of doing the research for uh, mm. one of those stories, you know, one of the things that. Uh, I've tried to do over the last few books is only write books set in places where my kids live. So <laughs> with, with the Lincoln letter, uh, our daughter was living in Washington at the time. So we could go down to Washington almost any time and call it research, hit the <laughs> restaurants, go to Ford's <laughs> theater, go to a museum and find a way to fold that into the story. And with Bound for Gold, we had a son and his family uh, living in, in Berkeley. And uh, it would be, it's very easy when you're in Berkeley to wake up in the morning, have breakfast uh, with, the, with the family, and then, and then drive off to uh, the gold country, uh, which is only 90 miles away. Wow. And now, now I have a son who lives in Los Angeles, and my new novel begins the day after Pearl Harbor in Los Angeles. And do you know what happened the day after Pearl Harbor in Los Angeles, among many other things? No. no. This, is, this is one of those silly little bits of research that you find and you say, i got to put this in. Yeah. The whole world is shocked. I mean, imagine how you felt, say, on September 12th, yeah. 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 Sure. woke up. The whole world is shocked, uh, including people in Hollywood. And the FBI is running a dragnet for the... Japanese and German collaborators, which is really the heart of my book. But at Grauman's Chinese Theater on that day, they had Abbott and Costello show up to put their hands oh and feet in the concrete wow. and sign their names. And it was, and I, I use it in the book as an example of what that town is all about. Yeah. The show must go on. That's great. No matter what. That is an awesome. I love those tidbit. little tidbits, those little trivia yeah. bits. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's absolutely true. That but awesome. when you, you get stuff like that by reading the newspapers of the time. Yes. With, I get with lost Bound, doing that. With Bound for Gold, for example, there's a, there's a 
there's a vigilante hanging in the book. Uh, and it's in a very important scene because the book is about the building of a society in a place where there are no social controls and no strictures. And uh, in order to understand how that all started, I went online and found uh, the San Francisco newspapers of 1849 and just read them all. Wow. And I came to that, that event and it translates into the novel just as, just as if I had lifted it completely from the pages <laughs> of, of uh, the newspapers of the time. Wow. And you know what they call journalism, the first draft of history. First draft of there history. That's right. Phil Graham. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite lines. <laughs> That's awesome. That is great. Yeah. We, uh, we have so enjoyed talking to you. Um, today. Well, I, have enjoyed, I have enjoyed being here. Yeah, this has been awesome. And I'm very excited now to check these books out. I'm I'm excited that I have a whole new series to uh And I to am discover. so excited to it. Now, tell us again. So the Bound for Gold is out in hardcover and is coming out yes. in paperback October 29th. 29th. Oh, right in time for Halloween. Mm. I yep, know what I'll yep. be doing that day. <laughs> you, can, you can dress up like a gold rush prospector. There we go. Who well, am I? <laughs> well, if you dress up like a prospector and come to my house, I'll put a I'll put a copy of the book and you a trick or treat. Oh, that would be awesome. I you have no that. idea. She is totally going to show up at your house. I now. know. Like, Hi, it's me. <laughs> and she'll bring those other two books. That, and you can <laughs> I already told Bill that at at some point when he's doing a signing for for this, I'm going to be showing up with my two books in hand. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a real pleasure. It's been a real well, treat. Thank you, thank you Bill. And take um, care. you take care as well. And um, everyone look out for this book in October and uh, check and check out our, our new, um, our new Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And we are also, we are also on uh, Twitter at book nation cast. Fantastic. So very exciting. All right. Um, thanks again. Thanks again, everyone for listening um, here at book nation. I'm Chris Stevens and I'm Nell Coakley and keep on reading. <laughs>